0: You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek.
1: I'm Drew Leiter. And I'm Cletus Jacobs. And welcome to episode 367 of the Earth Station DCU. Tonight, we're going to talk Fire and Ice. Welcome to Smallville number five, Birds of Prey number five, Blue Beetle number five, Batman number 141, Poison Ivy number 18, Shazam number seven, and Sweet Tooth, season two, episode six. How it started, how's it going? But before we get into that, let's talk some DC news. All right, Cletus, first up for DC news. One year after its announcement, James Gunn has given an update on DC Chapter 1, Gods and Monsters. One year ago today, Peter Safran and I introduced our DC slate for the first time. Thanks to all of you for the support you've given us throughout the year. Gunn shared this on Instagram. Today, Superman Legacy is about to start production. Episodes of Creature Commandos are being finished that will release later this year. At least two more projects are gearing up to go into production in the next couple months. Amazing scripts keep coming in and incredible talent are being attached to new projects, planned and unplanned. Thank you. And The upcoming projects include Superman Legacy, Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, Batman movie The Brave and the Bold, the Wonder Woman prequel series Paradise Lost, and Creature Commandos, a seven-episode animated series centered on Viola Davis's Amanda Waller.
0: I'm excited to hopefully see where this goes Drew. I mean, obviously I think we, we you know we talk about this constantly on the podcast. Everything ultimately still hinges on Superman. But I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that they figure you know they figure something out that they don't oversaturate themselves like I felt like Marvel did the last couple of years either find a nice balance and you know make something happen. We'll see. I trust Gunn's vision. I feel like he's he's earned the benefit of the doubt with the both Marvel and DC projects that he's worked on. He's a guy who clearly cares about the stuff that he's working on, clearly understands the material and again cares about the material. The one big question though with this Drew, obviously it has to succeed financially is will they be allowed to be the decision makers, Drew, or will the execs at you know above them, which we know there are, Will they meddle at some point, you know, and that's I think that's a huge question that's lingering over, uh, frankly, basically anything that Warner Brothers is doing right now, because it is uh, and we've touched on it with a number of different stories. The leadership group for Warner Brothers Discovery right now is not not well liked by many people. So we'll see.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that kind of leads into the our next bit of DC news, which is the Coyote versus Acme movie. So go ahead and tell me what's going on with that, Cletus.
0: Yeah, so this was uh, another not directly related to DC, although we have seen many crossovers between Looney Tunes and DC. A movie was supposed to come out called, as Drew said, Coyote vs. Acme, which was a combo animated live action film similar to Space Jam and a couple other Looney Tunes movies they've done. There was, from what I had seen, Drew, seemed to be generally positive buzz around it. People seemed to be excited at the premise for this. Obviously, people really would like a good combo live-action animated Looney Tunes film. I think that that's something that there's there's definitely for sure an audience for across a wide age range. The film's done. And back in November, Warner Brothers announced that they were going to shelve it just like they did with Batgirl and just write it off for a tax break and there was significant public outcry clearly more than there was for Batgirl because it was so strong that DC I DC but uh, Warner Brothers actually backed off from doing it and said that well actually okay hold on we'll allow the people who made the film to shop it around to other distributors and if they can find the right price for us to sell it We'll allow it to be like, let's, I don't know, let's just say Universal or, or Disney or something like that, you know, bought it for X amount of money. We'll allow them to distribute the film and it can go into theaters. How true that ultimately actually ended up being is highly up for debate because the a news story broke at the tail end of last week, Drew, that Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers Discovery and really David Zaslav, the guy that we constantly talk about on this podcast, is the really the root of many problems is just going to quietly delete the film and write it off for a tax break and not really even address it, just basically just they want to be done with it, they want the tax break, they don't care. They probably never really cared. So that in itself is obviously very frustrating for everybody involved in making the film, people who were hoping to see the film. Whether it was good or not, again, we have no idea. It never came out. But the other damning part of this, the story, Drew, was that none of the high-up execs at the company, including Zaslav, even bothered to watch the film. So they're canceling. Remember, the strong argument for Batgirl was that it was so bad that they were frankly doing everyone a favor by canceling it. Now, how true that actually is, we'll never know, right? It's a lot of he said, she said, we don't know. We've never seen it. But that was at least the the party line was that the execs did watch that film, and the party line was that it was so bad They had to cancel. With this one, nobody even bothered to actually watch the the movie. They just went, oh, you know, we'll get more money if we just don't air the film, basically, which is just insanely frustrating for everybody involved and is exactly what we're talking about when I'm concerned about the, you know, I trust James Gunn's direction. Peter Safran seems to be right alongside whatever they're doing, Drew, that leadership group is hitting all the right notes so far. We'll see when we start to get more of their stuff actually out. But the bigger concern is, Drew, they aren't the top of the food chain, right? Like, they are, relatively speaking, for DC Entertainment specifically, but they're not the top of the food chain. And the top of the food chain has shown to be uh, belligerent, to put it lightly, when it comes to kind of doing whatever they want.
1: It makes no sense to me to make a movie, have it completed, and then never show it. It sounds just like a big waste.
0: I mean, what they're really doing is just abusing the the tax break for that. That's not what the film that what that tax break. It's not what that's intended for, you know. It's it's meant to be, you know, almost in a sense a subsidy where like you try you provided jobs, you tried to make a movie. Some for whatever reason, something went wrong. And you can't actually air the film. Well, the government still wants you providing jobs and creating those projects, right? And so that's the spirit of what that rule is. What Zaslov has turned it into is how much profit can I wring out of stuff? My spreadsheet looks shinier if I just cancel stuff willy nilly because the government will pay for it either way. I mean, that's really what it is, Drew. And that's clearly. Clearly, repeatedly, he has shown that it is profit above all else. Above all else. And that would be concerning even if I wasn't a DC fan.
1: Yeah, it is concerning. And uh, how much longer is it going to be before some of the other studios do it too? Get us all excited about these movies and then never release them. Kind of (laughs) sad.
0: Yeah, agreed.
1: All right, well that wraps up our DC News for this week. Let's take a short break And when we come back, we'll do our comics talk. What you gonna do, brothers and sisters, when thousands of geeky fans descend on Atlanta for five days and nights of the grandest con of them all? You can prepare by training, eating your vitamins, saying your prayers, and checking out the Dragon Con report each and every month leading up to the show. Watch or listen and let Dragon Con Mania run wild on you! Helm report. Sir, there's Klingons on the starboard bow! Starboard bow? Starboard bow! What are they doing there? They seem to be waiting for the new episode of Earth Station Trek! Science, what do we know about
0: this Earth Station Trek? It's a podcast that tracks through the history of Star Trek, from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. Navigation, how would one find such a podcast? By setting coordinates for earthstationtrek.com, or by doing a sensor sweep of Spotify, iTunes, or any other quadrant where fine podcasts are available.
1: Captain, what are we going to do about the Klingons?
0: We come in peace, Commander. Weapon station, shoot to kill. Shoot, shoot to, to kill. kill! Shoot to kill!
1: And we're back. But before we get into this week's comic books talk, we gotta let you know... There's gonna be spoilers. We got spoilers, 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 we got spoilers, spoilers for you We got spoilers, 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 we've got spoilers. spoilers, we got spoilers, spoilers. And Ice, nice, welcome to Smallville number 5. Fire wakes up in the field and Lobo is gone. When she returns to the Big T's, it is on fire. Ice yells at her for it. Back at the cave, the villains wake up to find a message written on the wall. Thanks for the loot, heads. P.S. Your pie stinks. Lobo, the main man. Ice goes to the diner to talk to Rocky and realizes no one has any food. Ice tells Rocky to take care of her tables. Ice is going to give Fire a piece of her mind. Fire stops in at the bar and asks Charlie for a drink. Charlie responds, Why don't you ask your boyfriend Lobie? Fire states she just wanted to talk. Charlie pours a drink, but Fire just grabs the whole bottle and states she's going to the bathroom. Linka, Grod's sister, comes into the bar and tries to rob Charlie. Charlie laughs and asks her if she wants a drink. Fire returns from the bathroom and and remarks that Linka is not going to be superior to Grodd by robbing small town dive bars. When fire returns to the Big T's Ice apologizes for blaming fire. Whoever was behind the fire stole the creepy mask from the wall. A commotion outside gets the attention of of the women. They discover that Rocky is wearing the creepy mask and has taken hostages. The mask seems to be controlling her. Rocky states that she is going to create a new paradise. Ice gets a call from Martha who is at the hospital Martha is captive to crave the monster that attacked a village and turned Ice's mother into a hunger-craved monster when she was a little girl
0: Drew I I'm a little I personally find myself a little bit frustrated because I feel like the story has kind of gone a little all over the place and keeps it, it, it at times Drew it really feels like it's kind of making it up as it goes I just feel like we've kind of zigzagged from one storyline to all of a sudden, like, Lobo's involved. Just kidding, Lobo has absolutely nothing to do with the story whatsoever, and it's really about this. And then, oh, it's really going on with this, and oh, just kidding, it's really about this. This feels like it's a, I don't, is this a miniseries, Drew? Yes, it's
1: a miniseries.
0: Okay, it is a miniseries. I just don't know, it doesn't feel nearly as focused for a miniseries as it ought to be. It just kind of feels like it's flitting around to whatever kind of catches its attention next.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. It's there's too much going on. It's not it's not focused like it should be. Yeah, like you said, we had Lobo come in and out like fairly quickly. No really point in him being in the story except to make Charlie jealous. <laughs> At least that's what it seemed like to me. You have Ices Hunger monster going on. You have all the villains that were supposed to be on that reality show. We've got Rocky and the mass villain that was from some island that was from an old Justice League story. So <laughs> there is a lot going on here. It's it's hard to keep track of everything, and it's chaotic. I almost have to agree with you in stating it. It feels like they're making it up as they go. Like they didn't have the story planned out. Each issue we're getting seems to be, well, what should we do next? Oh, let's have this crazy thing happen.
0: Yeah, I just, I know that nominally this villain has probably been set up because we saw, you know, Eater and and we've seen the, whatever, the zombie-like people sneaking up. Like we've seen the little drip feed of whatever it is that's leading up to that. So I can give them the benefit of the doubt that the villain that they've been working towards has been the villain that they've wanted to use but every issue along the way feels like they had the basic structure right they want fire and ice to be the main characters they want them to go to smallville and they want this ice villain to be the villain at the end of the story everything else in between feels like they were just like "Ah, what should we do this week i don't know let's have them be a reality show for an issue i mean it's just all over the place and it's very frustrating drew because at times it's it's pretty entertaining and I think that the basic premise itself is pretty good for a mini I don't I just don't know what they're doing. I it's very frustrating.
1: Yeah, and like this issue we have Rocky in that mask tied to that living island that was from an old Justice League story. I you know, I don't know why they're bringing that story in mixing it with this ice monster from Ice's past too. You know, it's just too much stuff going on. Alright, let's move on to our next title for this week, Birds of Prey number 5, Themyscira. The Birds of Prey are fighting the monster, Megara, and losing. When Megara feels like she is weakening, Black Canary realizes that she is searching for her sister, Sin. Black Canary orders Barda with her. She tells the rest of the team to join them if they can. Elsewhere, Sin is sprinting across the island when Megara catches her in her vines. Black Canary uses her sonic scream, but it's too late. Megara has ingested Sin. Inside Megara, Sin learns that this construct is not really Megara. Megara needs Sin's life to be free of her prison. Black Canary tells Batgirl she needs the urn. Find it or Meridian. Batgirl finds Zelot, who has passed out from fighting the Amazons. Next Batgirl finds Meridian who states that the urn is with Megara. Finally Wonder Woman shows up under Megara's control. Meridian takes on Wonder Woman, while Batgirl and Zealot rush to help Black Canary. Combining her sonics with Barda's strength, Black Canary is able to make her way inside of Megara and find Sin. Black Canary tries to offer herself as a host, but learns that the only reason that Megara is here in the first place is because Sin asked. Outside of Megara, the Birds of Prey are battling a Megara-controlled Wonder Woman. Inside of Megara, Black Canary tells Megara that she is not locked inside, but rather Megara is locked inside with her. Black Canary pulls out a bunch of her banshee bombs. Next issue The Symphony of Destruction. Now, in contrast to the last story, Cletus, this one is a lot more focused.
0: Yes.
1: Way more focused
0: way more focused very clear it established the story at the, the first issue it's a rescue mission for her sister and every issue since has been and focused 100% on telling that story and we've had little like subplots still related to that but yeah agreed much more focused and a very very entertaining story i will say i didn't like this one quite as much as the others and a lot almost entirely because of the artist shift you know that personally I hate when books change to artists, whether it's because they have to have someone fill in, which is what I think was going on with this issue, or whatever, but one of the big, big pluses for me for this for this series has been the just phenomenal artwork has gone perfectly with the writing and the story. And I didn't feel it with this artwork. I really, there was a couple shots, Drew, the opening panel, for example, with the full crotch shot of Black Canary was uh, gratuitous to put it lightly didn't love that. And then I I felt weird that McGera was so sarcastic, Drew, that felt off to me. I will say I don't I'm not familiar with the with the villain, so I don't know if that's you know, the the writer putting their own spin it on it or not. And I'm not a, it's not it doesn't stand out, Drew. The rest of the book has been very like witty, funny, and sarcastic. So in that sense, the villain, you know, is right along with what the style of the book has been. But it caught me off guard because it felt like we had really been building up this kind of existential crisis with Megara. And then she was sort of non-serious in her dealings, right? At least verbally. That threw me off a little bit. I didn't totally love that, but that wasn't that big of a deal breaker. For me, really, it was the art change.
1: One of the things that felt different in in this issue to me than in other issues, this feels like right before the end of this arc. And um, usually the heroes are in per- peril this felt like the villain was in peril yeah <laughs> so it's like we we get to the end and it's like yeah we're not losing this <laughs> and we're just gonna get the wrap-up to to this story arc and the next issue i don't believe this is a mini-series so i i have a feeling it's it's it felt like it was going to wrap up next issue and i think we're going to be moving on to a different story after this
0: I'm excited to see the second storyline, Drew. Not because, I, I mean, I have very, very much enjoyed arc number one, but I'm excited to see what, you know, what the next adventure is and if it, the book can keep the momentum going. It's been so good in this first arc. If it can keep that going in the second arc, we're in for a really just special run on this on this team.
1: Yeah, and I'm looking forward to that. All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week. Blue Beetle number five. Cord Industries. With Jaime's permission, Kajada reveals Scarab combat vulnerabilities to Victoria Cord. Isolating the Blood Scarab from its host will leave it vulnerable to attack. Victoria decides she needs to run some calculations. Blue Beetle receives an incoming call from Starfire. She needs help immediately, and as they are flying to meet her, Kajada gives Jaime memories of Dan Garrett's encounter with the Blood Scarab. Blue Beetle meets Gimmicks, who states she pulled a prophecy out of her bag of tricks. She believes the Blood Scarab is going to perform a ritual to empower himself and kill everyone in its wake. Roger's Arena The Blood Scarab is performing his ritual when Blue Beetle and crew arrive. The battle begins and Blue Beetle calls on Victoria Cora to fire her weapon. The weapon just doesn't hit the Blood Scarab, it hits all the beetles. As Kaja Da reboots, Jaime Jaime decides that this ends now. It is his destiny.
0: I've I've been pretty out on this story, Drew, and this issue really did nothing to change that for me.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's been okay. This is going to wrap up next issue, so we're almost done with it.
0: For now. I uh, I have a very strong feeling that this creative team would very much like to and intend to do a uh, third volume of this.
1: Yeah, I don't Which know. Good
0: for, them, good for them. Not for me, but good for them. <laughs>
1: I don't know if I want to review another <laughs> another miniseries from them. So, I mean, this hasn't been... this has, It's been okay, but it hasn't been that great either. All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week. Batman 141. Batman realizes he cannot beat Failsafe one-on-one, especially commanded by Zurin R gives Bruce a choice. He can throw him in a hole, broken and beaten, to live out his days... Or Bruce can walk away and enjoy a well earned retirement. Batman tells Zurin R there is one flaw to his plan. He is Batman. Batman attacks Zurin R using his metal hand to damage his sensors, hoping to limit his tracking abilities. Batman escapes by stealing a car. Nightwing arrives at Barbara's place and gives Lucy Chesson, the gray shadow, a big hug. She was a mentor to Dick as well as Bruce. Lucy catches Dick and Barbara up on what has been happening with Bruce and Xur. Zur chases after the speeding car and jumps on it. He punches his way through the trunk. Batman leaps out of the car while releasing a fire retardant foam based on Killer Moth's formula. The car goes flying off a cliff with Xur stuck inside of it. Batman knows it won't contain Xur for long, but he hopes it'll slow him down. Batman believes Zur will head toward Gotham, thinking Batman will go there to get help from the Bat family. Instead, Batman heads back to the house Xur had been using as his lab while he transferred to Failsafe. Batman decides this is where he'll make his final stand. It doesn't take Xur long to figure out Batman went back to the house. When Xur enters it, Batman blows it up. It doesn't stop Xur. The two battle with Batman using some blades he fashioned to his gauntlets. Zur zaps Batman with electricity and then punches him to the ground. Zur pulls off Batman's mask and then punches him out. Bruce Wayne wakes up in a bed in a cell. He's been bandaged with the top part of his costume removed. A voice in a cell next to him tells him, Good morning, Sunshine. It is the Joker. Bruce demands to know how the Joker is involved in all of this. Joker states he will do exactly that. Next, the Joker, year one. We also had a backup story. In this together, zur and R brings in the other zur and Rs from the multiverse and makes a deal with them. First they'll clean up this universe and then fix theirs. zur promises this metal body isn't their final home. They will be free soon.
0: Drew, I was I was conflicted on this because there were parts of the story, and there's been parts of this storyline that I've liked. I like the idea of it sort of being a Batman versus himself. Storyline. I think that that's an interesting concept to explore. I like what we got in this, where like you're seeing Bruce try to figure out how to outsmart himself. And what I love, I, what I like that Zadarsky did, Drew, is that he really wrote it in a way that you believed that he was successfully doing it, right? There were multiple points where it seemed like Bruce had, you know, because he's Batman, he had outsmarted himself. And every time Zdarsky like would like pull the rug out at the last second, right? Like he think you think that Bruce like the logic that he uses to not go back to Gotham and to build the weapon and a couple of things like that makes sense. You're like, oh yeah, that'll work. And then every time you see Zurinar does not fall for any of those and overcomes every single one of the things that Bruce tries to do to, you know, pull out the win. That was really good, Drew. I thought that was good writing and I liked that a lot. My big complaint with the story, though, is something that you and I have been talking about for this, you know, whole run. The story ends with Bruce and Joker in a cell together, right? Why? Ultimately, really, why? Within the story, Drew, it doesn't make sense. Zurinar should have killed both of them. There's absolutely no reason, story wise, that we've been given for those two to be alive at this point, right? Why are they really alive? Because you cannot kill Bruce and Joker, obviously. They're the two money makers. You're not gonna write a continuity story in which Bruce and Joker are dead. You just aren't, it's not allowed, you can't do it. And so writing a story that revolves around essentially the audience suspending their disbelief that Joker and Bruce be kept alive for no discernible reason is a tough ask. And it's frustrating because, again, I feel like there are parts of the story that are written really well, Drew, and then it gets undermined by other parts of the story that it's not necessarily that they're written poorly, but they're written by necessity. They have to be alive. They're not allowed to be dead. And so half the story doesn't make sense. Why on earth is Joker alive right now? Why is Bruce alive at that point?
1: Yes, I, I agree with you because, especially the Joker... Zerounar could have his reasons for keeping Bruce alive for some reason to kill him later. Later, maybe. But the Joker should be dead. He was dead set on killing the Joker before. Why would he keep him captive
0: in the same cell? In the same cell. Like, that's just <laughs> Drew. I thought that's my problem. That was my problem with this book. I was like, man, there was some really good. The fight between the two was great, and then the ending. I was like, yeah, this has been my problem the whole time. Again. I understand, Drew. I don't. I, he can't. There's nothing he can do. They're not allowed to be killed. I get that. So why write the story in a way that you ha- like? That's the only logical outcome is for them to be killed. Like that's my big problem. Is if you know you're not allowed to do something, don't write the story to where that's the logical conclusion to the story, because then it's not going to work. And that's exactly what happened here.
1: Also felt like I wasted my time reading the backup story. Didn't we already read a backup story very similar to it?
0: I think we saw one where Zeranar was gathering the other or talking to the other ones, but this one is one where he actually like asserts dominance, right? And I think also Zadarsky is trying to lay the groundwork, Drew. I think we're we're seeing the breadcrumbs of of his downfall here, which is that in his arrogance so to speak that he can he's the best and that he's the one that can do it all of the others are also think that and that they're not ultimately going to be able to work together because they'll all try to be fighting for control themselves
1: and if right. they're fighting for control that'll give batman the upper hand
0: right exactly so for me it's a little frustrating because that feels easy to read into again i'm not saying that i'm clever for figuring this out it feels pretty obvious And it also, Drew, it feels like, I don't know that I personally agree with that interpretation. I know that Xuronar is essentially like Batman without the moral code, but Batman without the moral code isn't an idiot, right? For for all of them to not understand that working together or, or essentially fighting each other instead of working together is a surefire way to get beaten by Bruce... And essentially them not understanding that doesn't that doesn't jive with who Batman is. Right. That like, yes, he doesn't have the moral code, but he's still Batman. He's still the strategist that would realize that, hey, I might I maybe I should be the one leading in whatever. But like, ultimately, if I don't play along with this, none of us are going to get what we want.
1: Yeah, I agree with you.
0: And again, also reiterates the point of why on earth would you leave Bruce alive at that point? The only way you can get taken down is by Bat... Like, let's be honest. Batman's the only one that can take Batman down. So take the piece off the board. It's Batman without the moral code. I understand Batman himself, Bruce Wayne, wouldn't do this, right? But Zurinar would. This is Batman without the moral code, without any restraints. A Batman without any restraints would remove the piece from the board.
1: I don't disagree with you on that. I really have no, argue, I can't argue back with you on that point because that's just how it is. <laughs> I am not looking forward to the Joker origin story we're going to be getting here in the next few issues.
0: Yeah, no, I. that was not an exciting. I was like, oh, okay.
1: <laughs> we know uh, yeah. it, We know it's coming and it possibly has the ability of a legendary story maybe you know, one of those stories that sticks around. Yeah. So it has that potential. So, but I don't know. I'm just not that thrilled about it. All right. Well, let's move on to our next title for this week. Poison Ivy number 18, Slaughter Swamp. Poison Ivy, Killer Croc, and Solomon Grundy are fighting the Lamia-infected zombies that are coming into the swamp. Ivy informs Croc that there could be hundreds on the way. Back at the cabin, Croc helps Ivy make more antidote. It is not enough. Ivy knows she has only one choice. She has to talk to him. Ivy meets with Batman at Robinson Park. Batman states he thought they agreed to give each other space. Ivy explains the situation and gives Batman the antidote. Batman tells Ivy not to thank him. This is not a favor. After Batman leaves, Ivy gets a pain in her stomach. One that seems to be moving. Ivy doesn't have time to deal with this and she just ignores it. The next morning, Ivy and Croc continue to make more antidote. Janet from HR shows up at the cabin with more supplies. Croc is very happy that Janet brought donuts. Ivy gets more pain from her stomach. Ivy collapses in Janet's arms. Janet shouts for Croc, and they lay her on the floor. Suddenly, something bursts forth from her side. It is Jason Woodrue the Floronic Man. He states he is going to devour the world. Next, Origin of Species.
0: Drew, the body horror of Floronic Man just bursting out from Pam is something. (laughs) That was very effective.
1: Yes, Uh, it was. It was something I wasn't expecting. So we had Ivy and Croc working on this antidote. Most of the issue they spent, except for the brief time Ivy went to talk to Batman, and then, you know, she's got this pain. I didn't, you know, I didn't, wasn't, I was not expecting the Floronic man coming, jumping, coming, bursting out of her side. It's, it's one of those moments you don't expect. And a lot of times, you know, things that are going to happen in comics. And this one I was not expecting. So I like the surprise.
0: Yeah, I totally agree, Drew. It was extremely effective because like you, I was not expecting it but as soon as he popped up it like the whole story clicked into place right like it was it was it was doubly effective in that it was a great surprise but it also made complete and total sense once you knew it you're like oh like of course of course he's behind all of this why wouldn't he be a i just a phenomenal piece of writing Drew that was just so effective Very, very, very excited to get the next issue of this. Um, It's going to be quite an exciting clash between these two, I think.
1: Yes. I I like the fact they brought in both Croc and Solomon Grundy in this, and possibly Batman. So we could see a whole big team-up next issue, possibly. With her giving Batman the antidote, basically invited him into helping her. So we know once Batman comes back, he's going to get involved. All right, well, let's move on to our last issue for this week. Shazam number seven. The captain is fighting Bizarro Captain, who seems to appear out of thin air. When the captain starts questioning Bizarro Captain's abilities, Bizarro Captain points to the bank, where the captain finds Felix Faust, and arrests him for robbery. Meanwhile, over the skies of Kondok, Black Adam tells the accountant dinosaurs they have invaded the airspace of Kondok. Black Adam punches one of the dinosaurs. The dinosaurs fire a missile. Black Adam chases after the missile and catches it. Just as Black Adam is about to disarm the missile, it explodes, littering the city in papers hip-deep. Furious, Black Adam proclaims that the space dinosaurs will soon be extinct. Fawcett City Billy Batson meets his parents and siblings for a big family announcement. They are moving into a new home where everyone will have their own room. As soon as they sell their old home, they will have enough money to move in. Billy gets a call from Talkie Tawny stating they have unexpected, impatient visitors that would like to speak to Mr. Dinosaur. When Mr. Tawny offers them snacks, the dinosaurs try to liquefy him stating he is trying to offer them poisonous snacks. The captain shows up and saves Mr. Tawny. The captain tells the accountant dinosaurs that Mr. Dinosaur has taken a job as the butler of the Rock of Eternity. Black Adam shows up at the captain's house and attacks the space dinosaurs, telling them to die. The captain intercedes, and a big battle ensues between Adam and the captain. In the middle of the fight, the captain tells Adam to stop fighting. With his mouth gaping open, the captain realizes his battle with Black Adam just destroyed the home his parents wanted to sell. Next, Homeless.
0: I thought this was a very effective setup by Wade, where you had the... Far too nice house, right? You knew something was going to go wrong there. And then you get the fight with Black Adam, and they you keep seeing... You don't normally see the artist make a point to show the destruction of the fight, and they kept... They were very intentional, right, with the, with the artwork to show the house slowly getting torn to bits so that you, the reader, knew exactly what was going on before Billy kind of realized it too late. That was great comic book writing right there, both the writing and the artist kind of working together. That was... Very effective, Drew. I liked that a lot. One very subtle line in the book was we saw the first instance of the captain and Billy being something of separate identities where the captain refers to Billy in the third person and then gets conf- and like, goes, like, wait a second, I mean me. And so we, we already, you know, the book hinted that this was the direction that it was going to go in towards the more old school separate, you know, Separate identities, separate people that, the, that Captain Marvel and Billy used to be. And this was kind of the first sign of, I think, of what we're going to see more of. I've already said I'm not personally a fan of that. I, I like the idea of you know, they've described it as big in tights. I like that. I like the idea of Shazam, Captain Marvel, the captain, whatever you want to call him, being a kid. I personally like that. I know that old school Captain Marvel fans don't like that. They like, you know, the comic that they either grew up reading or they read first or whatever, whatever. It, you know, it's subjective. So for some people, Drew, this is going to be a positive change. I think we're going to slowly see it start working its way towards that. For me, I don't, I don't love that. I think it's one of the things that makes Shazam slash Captain Marvel unique is the fact that it's, you know, a kid in an adult's body and a Part of the appeal of the character to me so we'll see
1: i'm curious if did you catch the mistake on the spelling of Condoc and one of the earlier scenes where it said meanwhile over the skies of kondok uh,
0: i don't think i did
1: they spelled it wrong i i caught that when i was reading i caught that i'm like i'm like whoa i haven't seen a misprint like that for quite a while <laughs> and uh yeah i i saw that and then it bothered bothered me for <laughs> Bit. <laughs> that was the only time they misspelled it though i mean even on the same page when black adam says it it's spelled correctly but it was up in that little meanwhile over the skies of conduct it was that's where it was spelled wrong i don't always catch those things but i caught it that time
0: yeah that would bother me too i'm actually glad i didn't say that because that would have bothered me a lot
1: <laughs> so yeah i i enjoyed this issue and uh <laughs> black adam wanting to make the dinosaurs extinct that uh, sounded like him to me and then when he got in the battle with the captain and they destroy the house they were just going at it until finally billy realizes what was go- what what happened so yeah i i enjoyed this one i've been enjoying the dinosaurs they've just been funny dumping that missile with all the papers on conduct with that were hip deep <laughs> i found that freaking hilarious so yeah i'm i'm enjoying the title All right, well, that wraps up our comic books talk for this week. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk Sweet Tooth.
0: It's a new era for Doctor Who.
1: Life depends on change and renewal.
0: And the crew from Earth Station Who podcast
1: will continue to guide you through the past, present, and future of the franchise. Though
0: not necessarily in that order.
1: Join us for some wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey talk of stories new and old.
0: Listen to Earth Station Who wherever you access your podcasts. We're
1: a proud member of the ESO Network. We're all stories in the end. The Epsilon 3 is a dream given forum. It's a home away from home for three guys to watch a 90s sci-fi classic TV show. Three guys with microphones over 3,249 miles apart, all alone in the night. The year is 2262.
0: The place, Babylon 5. The podcast, The Epsilon 3. On the ESO Network.
1: And we're back. Let's talk Sweet Tooth. Season 2, Episode 6. How it started. How's it going? Amy Eden tells General Abbott, by radio, that if he leaves the zoo now, she won't embarrass him in front of all his little buddies. A barrel is dropped from one of the airplanes. Written on it is Flower Powers. When it crashes down into the zoo, it spills out purple flowers everywhere. General Abbott grabs his brother and tells him to take the doctor and his wife to Evergreen. Johnny gives Ronnie and the doctor a chance to escape. When Bear and Jordan's convoy come under attack by the airmen, they take cover in the city. When Jordan decides to kill their captive, Bear intervenes and sets her free. Gus uses his pocket knife to pick Jeppard's lock and set him free. Gus tells Jeppard they are not leaving without the other hybrids. General Abbott retaliates against the airmen by shooting down one of their planes with a bazooka. Tiger says Bear and they settle their differences. Bear has the animal army helping her find Gus. Amy finds Dr. Singh's lab and realizes that Roy is dead. She destroys the lab by setting it on fire. As the hybrids are about to be caught by the last men, Jeopard and Gus show up to fight them. When Wendy is searching for Gus, she finds her mom. They head to the south gate to find the others. General Abbott realizes the flowers were fake plastics. He tells his army to head back to the zoo. Ronnie and Dr. Singh are almost to freedom when Dr. Singh realizes that Guess is the key to the cure. Dr. Singh runs back to his lab to grab his research. When Dr. Singh reaches his lab, it is on fire. Dr. Singh returns to Ronnie to find she is gone. Jeopard gets all the hybrids out of the zoo and onto a bus. Jeopard hotwires it. Just when they are about to leave, Wendy and her mom show up. General Abbott is running toward the zoo when the bus passes them, full of the hybrids. They wave as they pass by, celebrating their victory. Amy is smiling as she looks down at her hand and realizes her pinky is shaking. I really enjoyed this episode of Sweet Tooth, Cletus. I, I was happy that we got to finally see the hybrids break out. It was great seeing General Abbott and his army kind of thrown off by the flowers evacuating, you know, get it so their plan can succeed. And then the hybrid's getting out. And then we get to that end scene. Everything's all happy and stuff. Amy looks down and her pinky is twitching. I'm like, oh, there it is. There's the twist.
0: I I thought that twist was very effective, Drew, because one of the realities that the show has sort of skirted around, but I mean, has talked about directly, but hasn't really... I don't feel like the the show or the audience has fully appreciated the ramifications of, Drew, is that the next wave of the sick is effectively going to wipe out humanity, right? That, like, everybody, essentially everybody who's not a hybrid is on a ticking clock. And I, the twist to me was very effective because it sort of brings that reality home, right? That, like, yes, this is a happy event that they've they've successfully escaped, the remainder of the hybrids are safe. Gus has been reunited with big man. Like all of that's awesome. But in a sense, the, tr- in the true villain, right? This this disease, this sickness is still out there and still very, very much a problem, whether you're a good or a bad person.
1: Yep. And it could very well be the end of the human race. What is the human race going to do about it? Are they going to find a cure? Are they going to save the hybrids, you know, kind of pass the torch onto the hybrids because they're dying out? It's that battle we're going to be seeing.
0: One question I did have, Drew, was the air raid strategy seemed confusing to me in its ability to succeed in what the air masters wanted, if that makes sense. As a distraction to pull the attention of the last men out of the zoo to allow her to sneak in and get the hybrids out makes complete sense, right? But that wasn't the full plan. The full plan was them, obviously, the hybrids getting out. The other half of that plan, though, was for the airmen to essentially gain the spoils of war of the what the last men left behind, including the tank, which we see referenced at the end. Right? But like that was why they were helping because essentially the zoo that had become the last men's base was going to turn into an airmen base and depot. It didn't totally make sense to me how they were going to accomplish that with what was ultimately fake bombs. It felt like at times the show kind of wanted to have its cake and eat it too, where obviously they can't actually be bombing the zoo because you would kill the hybrids, right? And so they've got to be dropping something else. And so they come up with, well, okay, if they can't drop bombs, what's something that could make sense for them to drop? But then there's still times where we see Bear running around and dodging things as if they're bombs. It felt like the show really, really wanted them to be bombs, Drew, but couldn't and really strained against that at times where it was like the air raid makes way more sense if it's a lethal air raid, right? The peril that we see Bear in makes way more sense if it's a lethal air raid. But on the flip side, it makes no sense as a rescue mission if it's a lethal air raid. And I just, it felt like that was, the show was at odds with itself on that. It didn't feel like it totally threaded the needle for me in that regard. Now, again, overall, I thought it was a great episode, but that specifically, as I was watching, I was like, this doesn't totally make sense. And then when they start getting hit by the, bazookas it was like of course they are they're not actually doing anything to take out any weaponry like what's their plan what's the end game plan here
1: yeah Their the problem was they needed to have a ground assault so <laughs> this this was their mistake they have their air raid which makes sense of it not being lethal what didn't make sense is people coming in on the ground and attacking i mean you could have had amy get in there get the hybrids out with a ground ground troops coming in behind behind yeah. her and taking over the zoo. That's what they should have done. They didn't do that. And I, I got to say, now that you mention it, the scene with Bear where that stuff is falling around her and Tiger saving her, I, ca- I rolled my eyes at it because she wasn't in danger. She's like, that's I true. saved you. I'm like, no, you didn't. She's not even in danger. So but the show
0: really wanted her to be in danger, Drew. And that's the that's what I'm saying. It felt like the show wanted to have its cake and eat it, too where like you had this bombing going on and you have people on the ground trying to escape that but but again like we've said they they can't actually do that and it just that was my that was again it was a minor nitpick it didn't ruin the episode in any way for me but like I said, this wasn't a perfect episode for me because it felt like the that was the core premise of the episode was all centered around this attack, except it wasn't really an attack, it was a diversion, except it was also supposed to be an attack. That's sort of the thing, right? It was sorta of, it like it was trying to be too many things, and it was really only a diversion from a logical sense. And if that had all it was ever supposed to be, Drew, it would have been fine. But the problem was is that the show was trying to also make it a real attack. And it just wasn't. There was what what does the successful version of that plan look like, Drew? Did the the last men just all run away? Like of course at some point they're gonna grab their weapons and start firing back and all the airmen were doing are just flying around, just flitting around in the air, doing what?
1: That's exactly my point. Even the bear scene could have been better with the ground assault. You know, if they, they could had airmen chasing after her thinking she was with the last men. And tag her, save her, and then you know, like, wait, wait, we're on your side, kind of thing. Yeah. But what needed to hap- what needed to happen was the- that ground assault where they come in and take over the zoo after the last men leave, and make forcing the last men to have to fall back to Evergreen. Instead, they're just gonna co- the last men are just gonna come back into the zoo and re inhabit it. That that's what they needed was that a ground assault for them to actually accomplish what they were trying to do and make more sense in the story. As the the way we saw it, it was flawed. And as you pointed out, there's the flaws. <laughs> still still a good episode, but a flawed good episode. All right. Well, that wraps up our show for this week. Do you have a shout out, Cletus?
0: Yes. So I thought this was interesting, Drew, when I read Blue Beetle again, I've been pretty checked out, but the flashback to the Dan Garrett Blue Beetle caught my eye because the artwork change was like, Oh, that grabbed my attention. And it made me, I was like, this feels like they could be making this up, but I wonder if they aren't. And Drew, they were not. This is is actually a Dan Garrett story that they are referencing. This story with the mummy appears in Blue Beetle volume three, number one, which came out in 1964. And it is, the story is called the giant mummy who was not dead. What a name.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, when I was reading, when I was reading the issue and I saw the artwork change, I, and I looked at it, I wondered if they pulled it from an old comic. Cause it just looked like they did. So I'm glad you verified that.
0: Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. I, I, I have to give the creative team props for the reference and, and you know, do the artwork shift to make it feel old school. That was that was pretty cool, Drew, and I was very pleasantly surprised to find that it was, in fact, you know, a, a real story that they were referencing. That was pretty cool. All
1: right, and for my shout-out, um, I came across, before the show today, I came across some uh, Valentine DC backgrounds that you can put on background for your phone and stuff. So I dropped it in the Earth Station DCU group page on Facebook. So if anyone wants to download... I know by the time this comes out, (laughs) this episode comes out, it'll be after Valentine's Day. But, uh, I mean, you can still put them on your phone. But, you know, if people happen to go into the group and see it before Valentine's, they can download them. And They had a a few uh, cool ones in there. They had a Superman Wonder Woman one. They had a Big Barda... Uh, Mr. Miracle 1. They had Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn, of course. And they also had Midnighter and Apollo. So, a couple of them to choose from. So, if you want to have a Valentine-themed DC background for your phone, there you go. Alright, if you'd like to comment on anything we've talked about this week, you can reach us at a feedback line, 317-455-8411. Leave us a message, text us, or... You can email us at earthstationdcu at gmail.com. All right, Cletus, coming up next week, we've got Superman Lost, Jay Garrick the Flash, Batman Superman World's Finest, Action Comics, Green Lantern, Titans Beast World, and the next episode of Sweet Tooth. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Time to go. you sure this is necessary? The Guardians of the Universe seem to think so. How long will you be gone? But we will be back, little brother. I wish I could go with. I doubt your mother would approve. I'll miss you. Perhaps you could water the plants in my apartment while I am gone. Be careful, all right? May the gods be with you all.